All right, you have your Bibles, turn with me to the uh, Hebrews, the sixth chapter, if you would. Let's all stand as we honor God's Word by standing. Hebrews, the sixth chapter, and I'm only going to read verses one and two. Uh, I want to say before I get started on this, this is a difficult part of the Scriptures. Uh, uh, this is something that there's not one verse, and that's, that's just about all the way through to the end of the book. There's not one verse that you can pull out of the context. It's just, uh, they are, it's, it's, one, it's one big context. But anyway, in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 1 says, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance and dead works, and of faith and of repentance, I'm sorry, dead works and repentance uh, toward God. Um, verse 2 says, Of the doctrine of baptisms and of laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your word. Thank you for it, Lord. I pray that you'll help me. I pray that you'll Help my eyes, Lord, to where I can see and and uh, what uh, the things that I need to read. And Lord, I just pray to bless us. Take care of us, Lord. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Thank you. you. May be seated. Last week, if you'll remember, the title of my message was "Learning Step by Step." You know, I I don't know if I got this across last week or not, but uh, but. Um, you know, as you as you go forward in the truths, you know, you have to learn and have to know and be practicing one truth before God's going to give you another one. I mean, that's just the way it is. That's the way God is. God, God rewards you with another truth when you have when you have learned the other truth and and you start practicing that truth in your life and and living. So. That that is uh, <clears throat> uh, learning step by step. Well, this week I titled my message "Going On to Perfection." Going on this this is leading to perfection. Perfection is not as we said last week, and I want you to understand this. As we said last week, uh, perfection is not perfection of uh, of of practice. Or perfection of living, uh, but this is perfection of understanding the Word of God. You know, um, this teaches me. I don't know if it teaches you this or not. And I don't know if it teaches anybody, but it teaches me that uh, you can know what the Scriptures are teaching. That God, God didn't write a, a Scripture here that you cannot learn. But the problem we have today is that there's not a lot of people who are real interested in learning the Scriptures. They're not interested in knowing what God's Word says and, and what it really teaches. Now, um, the understanding of last week was that God expects His children to learn the truths of the Bible, beginning with the truth of the Gospel and going forward, you know, and unless you understand the truth of the gospel, 
then it's no use in you trying to understand baptism. No use you trying to understand these other doctrines of the word if, if you don't understand the truth of the gospel. And so it, be, it begins with the gospel. Now, as I preached last week, the gospel itself has many truths within it. Many truths. You know, you can, uh, if, you, if you study the Bible, you'll find the gospel is called the gospel of peace, the gospel of, of, of grace, and so on and so forward. And that's a, there, there's a lot of doctrines right, right in with there. And then you got other, talks about the gospel of prosperity. And uh, that's, that's one gospel that you, as, as Sovereign Grace Baptists, we want to stay away from because uh, we're not teaching a gospel that, that if, you, if you come forward and trust, quote, unquote, trust the Lord as your Savior, and then everything's going to, you're going to go home. And as one preacher said one time on television, you'll go home and find your mailbox full of money. That's not going to be the case. Uh, we don't preach that, that type of gospel. But we preach, we preach the gospel uh, of the grace of God, the gospel that, uh, uh, that, will, that will save you if you believe it and understand it and God gives you the understanding of it. And, and, and it's, it's the gospel that will save you. Now, he, Paul goes on further. And, and what he, when he says here, not laying again the foundation, we didn't get this far last week, I, I stopped, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and faith toward God. Now, um, that's the last part of the first verse. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. Now, what, what does he mean by that? That's, that's just words to most people. That's just words, and uh, I guess in this part of the scripture, I guess I probably heard one of the worst messages ever preached there back a few, few years back, uh, when somebody was in this part of the scripture preaching, and, and they preached a terrible message. But uh, this, is, this is not saying that you, that you don't preach repentance, that you don't believe repentance, uh, this doesn't mean that you, uh, that you, uh, uh, don't really, that you learn that you're not saved by works and, and, uh, that, uh, that you're not to talk about your faith, uh, toward God. But what this, what this is saying here is that, that, uh, this is, these are, I guess you would call them in the school system, remedial things. These are remedial things. These are the first things that you learn. You know, you, you learn. Uh, the sad part about it is, folks, we have so many people today that don't know what repentance means. They, they don't know what repentance means. Uh, they don't know what it means to repent from dead works. Uh, that, that is sinful works. They don't know what it means to repent because repentance means, and, and I, you, you need to, you need not only learn these things, but you need to teach others, especially your family and your children. You, you, you need to teach them what repentance really is. Repentance is when you're saved and you, and you, you confess your sins and you repent of them 
that means that you have turned from them and you're not going to turn back to them. That's the promise you give to God. But what we have today is we have people walk church aisles and, and they've, they've got sin in their life. There's not a person that's ever walked this church aisle. Uh, and I walked a church aisle in, in Kentucky. There's never a person ever walked a church aisle that didn't have sin in their life. That's the reason they come. They come because they have sin in their life because they realize where their sin is going to take them and where they're going to wind up if they don't repent of those sins. But, uh, and, and their dead works won't save them. No, I mean, you can, dead works is works at where you, you think, well, you know, if I go to church enough, then I'll be okay. And if I get my name on a church roll, as one man told me one time, he said, uh, we, we practice discipline. And he said, uh, where, where are they going to, when they die, where, where their obituary, where are they going to say they were a member at? If you, if you, uh, if you discipline them, if you exclude them from the church. Where are they going to say they're a member at? Well, I, I don't know. I, I guess that's important to a lot of people. Is being a, having their name down when they die as being a member of some church or, or being associated with some church. Now, what does this mean? When, when the Lord talks about not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works, and of faith toward God. Remember who he's talking to here. Remember who he's writing to. He's writing to these Hellenistic Jews who most of them still practice old Judaism in their life. Yeah, they, 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 a lot of them were saved. They were saved at Jerusalem. They were of that group. Some of them were of that group that was saved on the day of Pentecost. But God, uh, God sent, uh, uh, uh he sent, uh, uh, persecution among them and he the church got so big and this is you might want to think about this when you talk about these mega churches the church got so big that God said no you need to break up and so what did he do he sent persecution among the church and he broke them up and he sent them out they, 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 he broke them up and they sent them out to all different areas uh, Paul, if you'll remember, uh, Paul went to Antioch, and Paul started a church at Antioch. And, and many of those churches were started because of those, those Jews that had dispersed out. But these Jews here sort of didn't, they just walked alone. Let's, let's put it that way. They just walked out just like somebody in darkness walking. And, and so all they understood... All these Hellenistic Jews understood was about the sacrifice of the slain animals, and they understood that to be their religion. And and that's what Paul is, is, is referring to them here. He's saying you don't you 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 go away from those things. You've been saved away from those things. You know those those animals that were slain in the Old Testament. They were not your religion, though a lot of them believed that was their religion. And a lot of them, uh, the, if you remember, uh, when the veil was rent from the top to the bottom, uh, you, you've heard me say many times that 
A lot of these Jews went back in there and sewed it back up and kept using it. And they still use it today. They still use it today. A lot, a lot of the Orthodox Jews still teach the same thing today that those Hellenistic Jews learned during their time. But they, they knew about the sacrifice of slain animals as an understanding of religion. They didn't learn that the slaying of animals was not repentance and faith. They, they did not learn that. Though, though it was a picture of one who was going to come and die for them and give them repentance and give them faith. But the slain animals was not their repentance and their faith. Also, just as today, we must learn that good works in going to the house of God and praying is not repentance and faith. That's not repentance and faith. You know, you may say, well, if I go to the house of God, then I'm going to be all right. That's not repentance and faith. Repentance is having the faith to completely turn from the sin which has been repented of and not returning back to it. Not, not returning back to it. If you remember last week, I believe it was last week, we went back to the book of Galatians where Paul told those there, those those people there at Galatia, he told them, he said, I'm afraid of you. What, what, what had they done? Well, they had supposedly repented of their sins and they had supposedly been given faith from God, but what did they do? They turned back to the beggar elements of the law, just like these Jews did. They turned, they turned back to doing the things that they did when they, uh, in the Jewish religion. That is, uh, that is, uh, uh, Celebrating days and times and years and, and such and such as this. Celebrating ceremonies and all of this. And so they went back to that, but that's, that was not repentance and faith. Repentance, as, as we said, is turning, is repenting of a sin and turning and, and never turning back to, to that sin again. This is most difficult thing to do. Most difficult thing to do. It's almost impossible for you to do it without the leadership of the Holy Spirit of God. You've got to have the Holy Spirit of God working in you. That's the reason that Paul warned those Romans. He warned those Romans. He said, if you don't have the Spirit of God dwelling in you, you're none of his. You don't belong to him. And it's the same way today. If we don't have the Spirit of God dwelling in us, then we don't belong to him. Because every person that is told, truly saved has the Spirit of God within them, leading and guiding them and directing them in, in what they should do, what they should say. You know, I prepared a message for Sunday, and I think that when I prepared it, I, I don't know if Kara, uh, uh, I, God gave me this one Sunday, and, I, and when I, after I started preparing it, I thought, well, I believe I've heard Kara say this in some of her devotions. But it's... Uh, uh, she's getting where she's stomping on me uh, on some of her devotions. But 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 the title of my message Sunday is going to be is going to be teach me, O God. Did you teach it? You had devotion on that, didn't you? I think teach me, O God. Well, that's going to be the title of my message Sunday. Now I went on pray. Well, I'm going to go on and preach it. I don't care if Kara did have it. Uh, but this is uh, uh, this is where we come to. You know. We, we have to have the Spirit of God with us. You know, the same Spirit that I have has to be the same Spirit that you've got. 
The same spirit you have is the same spirit that I have. You know, you have to have the spirit of God dwelling in you because Paul warned those Romans of that very thing because they were his brothers uh, uh, in, as far as the biological concern. They were his brother Jews. And, and he told them, he told them, he said, uh, he, he said, you, he says, you must be careful that you know what you're doing when you, when, when you say you're saved. Because I think if you go over to the 10th chapter of the book of Romans, Paul, Paul says, uh, he says, my, my prayer to God is that, that you would be saved. So a lot of them wasn't saved. A lot of those Jews weren't saved that was there at Rome. And, and Paul, Paul said that, Paul said they wasn't saved. And he said, you, you all need to be saved. Now concerning we today, we must learn more than just, I am a Christian. Now listen to what I'm saying. We must learn more than just, than just, I am a Christian or I am saved. We've got to, we've got to go further than that. You know, because if someone really wants to question you about your salvation, then they may tie you up in knots. Because I tell you, we, we've got to move f- further away from that because that's all I hear today. When I talk to someone, that's all I hear today. Well, I am a Christian. And I heard Trump say the same thing. I heard Biden say the same thing. Well, I am a Christian. What does that mean? Well, what does that mean? You know, I am a Christian. Well, what does it mean? I am saved. What does that mean? There's, there's got to be a meaning that goes along with that or you don't understand what it means to be saved. There's got to be a meaning that goes along with that. Now, don't get me wrong. It is important to know that you're saved. Most important thing in your life is to know that you're saved. But we are not to dwell on those sayings for the rest of our lives. You're not to dwell on those sayings, I am saved or I am a Christian. You know, that that doesn't prove anything. Doesn't prove a thing. It was John the Apostle who wrote, and, and he, he teaches us here, he says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. You can know these things. These, these things, you can know these things. Not, not because I teach them, but you can know these things in your own heart, in your own soul. You can know these things. Why? Because you begin to understand the Word of God. I tell you, I had problems with eternal security when I was first saved. And I tell you, one of the greatest things ever was is I was sitting, I was sitting in my yard up there in Kentucky, and uh, I was studying out in the sunshine up there. I mean, you get out sunshine, it's still not that warm sometimes. It's, it don't get as hot up there as it does down here. But I was sitting out, in, uh, and uh, I was studying my scriptures, and all of a sudden I saw something that just, boom, it just took all of that away. Took all of that anxiety, if I ever had any, away from whether I was saved or not. 
It just it lit up it lit up inside of me just like you had turned on a, a fluorescent light inside of me. It, it it lit up that that bright. It lit up so bright inside of me that uh, that that the Lord that that I am saved and and that I do have eternal security. I find many, and here here's a statement here that everybody needs to think about. I find many that spend a lifetime trying to convince themselves that they're really saved. They spend a lifetime doing that, trying to convince themselves that they're really saved. You don't have to do that. You know, if the Holy Spirit deals with you and if the Holy Spirit shows you the truth about eternal security, then you don't have to spend a lifetime in anxiety worrying about whether you're saved or not. And, and as I've told you before, a lady up there in Kentucky, she would call me every day. She would call me every day. And she would tell me, she'd say, she always called me Paul because she, she, she knew, she knew me quite well. She said, Paul, she said, I'm just afraid that I'm not going to have what I'm supposed to have when I stand before God. That's anxiety. That's anxiety about salvation. And, and I hope and pray that people don't spend a lifetime trying to convince themselves that they're saved but if they'll just get into the word of God pray about it get into the word of God and I promise you God will open up your eyes and he'll open up your understanding to what it means to be eternally saved he'll open up your understanding if one will study the Bible under the leadership of one who knows the truth one will receive the second great truth that is the truth of eternal security. That's probably the second great truth after you're saved, is knowing you are saved. Oh, boy, I tell you, folks, you've got a, you've got a multitude, multitudes, multitudes of, of people today who say, I'm a Christian, but they don't believe that you can know you're saved. Why, why would you say, I'm a Christian, if you can't know you're saved? Why would you say I'm saved if you can't know you're saved? You, you know it, you know it, but the only way you're going to know it is by the study of the Word of God and by teach, by listening when, when the Word of God is taught. Now here is one here that is very difficult. The apostle goes further to say also of the doctrines of baptisms. Now I, I heard a terrible message on that. Terrible message. And, and the, the person that was preaching it said that there's a lot of different kinds of baptisms. That's not true. That's not true. Now, let me explain this. There's only one baptism. That's water baptism. Now, I know some people talk about the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Well, that word baptism there, which says baptism of the Holy Ghost, that word baptism is immersion. That's, that's an immersing Immersing of the Holy Ghost. In other words, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Ghost came and filled the house. That was baptism of the Holy Ghost. That was immersing of the Holy Ghost. It came. Uh, the, word, the word immerse can be translated as baptism, and the word baptism can be understood as immersing. But, uh, but that, that's not what this is talking about. That's not what this is talking about. Contrary to what one said many years ago when preaching about this, 
there is not many diversity diversities of baptism. There's not many different baptisms. There's only one baptism, that's water baptism. But only one baptism done once in one's life. Done one as a, as, as a child of God. Also, now to get this, also it is done to many of God's children. Now, now when, when you want to use the word baptisms, I would say that I have, I have, uh, uh, conducted a lot of baptisms here at Landmark Baptist Church. Not different baptisms, but the same baptism on many different people. That's what this is referring to here. Paul, Paul, or Paul is not here is referring to that there are different kinds of baptisms. The Bible says in, in Ephesians, the fourth chapter, says there's only one baptism. One baptism. Go read it. Ephesians, the fourth chapter. He says there's one Lord. There, he said there's one, there's one, uh, uh, one hope. One baptism. And, and, and in that, in that text. There's only one baptism. This is not talking about a diversity of baptisms. You know, people have taken this out of its context and used it to, to talk about, uh, well, just like, um, uh, the singer, uh, that took a group of those, uh, people out there in, in California, uh, took them out there to the Atlantic Ocean. And I got a picture of it at home, came out of Time Magazine. Some of you don't remember Time Magazine, it used to be a Time Magazine. I took it out of Time Magazine. He has got a, a Boone. What was his name? Pat Boone. Pat Boone, yeah. Pat Boone. He claimed to be a preacher all of a sudden. And he had a group of those teenagers out of California lined up on the beach. I got a picture of it. The girls are there with nothing but their bras and their panties on. And the boys didn't have nothing but their jockey shorts on. And they were all standing lined up, and he was taking them out into the Atlantic uh, Pacific Ocean, and he was baptizing them. That's not baptism. That's not baptism. Because what he did was not, he didn't teach it as baptism, he taught it as a way of salvation. That's not, that's not what the baptism, there's only one baptism. Let me say it like this, and I said it just a minute ago. I have performed many baptisms here in this church, but only one on each candidate. So that's what, that's what he's referring to here. He says, don't, don't you go back. Now, now he's talking about New Testament things here now. He's, he, he was talking about Old Testament things before. Now he's talking about New Testament things. He, he said each one of them, were baptized, and 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 what they were doing is, is they were they were re relying on that baptism that they got for salvation, and Paul and Paul was teaching them that 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 they they should not uh, go, uh, uh, they should not get back on the doctrines of baptisms, and what bad what baptism mean. Paul better explain to turn to Hebrews the ninth chapter if you would for just a moment. In Hebrews, the ninth chapter, 
And I'm going to read verses 8 through 10. And here's what uh, Paul tells them over in the ninth chapter. He says, the Holy Ghost, in verse 8, the Holy Ghost, this signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest, which was, which as the first tabernacle was yet standing. This was before the church. He's talking to these Jews. This was before the church was, was, was instituted, which was a figure. The, the old tabernacle was a figure of the church in the Old Testament, which was a figure for the time then present in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did uh, the service perfect. In other words, in other words, you couldn't work your way to perfection. It, 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 it doesn't come like that. It doesn't come. You can work your fingers to the bone here and never reach perfection as, as what he's referring to here. That is perfection in the Word of God, perfection in understanding the truths, and perfection in knowing exactly uh, what the truths are about. And uh, But then he goes on to say here, in the 10th verse, which stood only in meats and drinks and divers washings and carnal ordinances in, in, imposed on them until the time of reformation, you know, uh, up up until the time that they were reformed. And, and when were they reformed? They were reformed when they were saved. He, he, he's teaching these, he's teaching these that he, he already said they're dull of hearing. They don't understand what's being said. And now he's teaching them why they're like that, why, why they don't understand these things. <clears throat> An example of this is a lady in Kentucky went from church, and I've told this before, but this, this is important here. A lady in Kentucky went from church to church seeking baptism. She was asked why she did that, and her reply was, I wanted to make sure I had the right one. So she she got many baptisms. She she got many baptisms. She went from, I guess she went to every church in the city. And I, I know best I can best I can remember, she she went to about every church in the city. First Baptist Church, First Methodist Church, First Presbyterian Church, and this. That one, that one, and she was baptized into every one of them. And she did it because she wanted to be sure she had the right one. Well, that's a misunderstanding of the word baptism. Now, the apostle goes further to say, and of laying on of hands. Now, let me, let me tell you something here. Let me say this. These Jews knew about the Old Testament teaching of the laying on of hands, such as the priests laying on the hands of other priests. This was necessary. This was important. And the laying on of hands of the scapegoat, which was sent out into the desert to die. But they didn't learn that the power of the putting away of sins, that is, concerning the scapegoat, the power of putting away the sins of the people was in the ceremony which was ordained of God. God is the one that told them, this is what you're to do. You're to lay your hands on them, and you're to send that scapegoat out. And all the priests laid their hands on the head of that scapegoat, and they sent him out to the, out to the uh, desert to die, and he had all the sins of the people upon him. But that was a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
There's a picture of Christ taking all of the sins of his people there to Calvary and dying there on the tree to, to save those people uh, from those sins. So let me say this. You've seen it on TV. You, you've heard about it. You've heard about it. And, and, and years ago, it was, it was very prevalent. But there is no power in any person's hands. There's no power to heal. There's no power to raise the dead. What about the preacher that took a group of people over in Alabama and he was going to raise a woman from the dead? And he, all there was hundreds of people following him over there. And he didn't bit more raise that woman than anything. He prayed over that woman for four or five days. Those poor, ignorant people stood there and watched him. And he, he would take his hands and, and he would shake them. And he, he would shake them and he'd, ra- he'd rub them all over that woman. There was no power in his hands. Just like when we ordain a, a, a preacher to, uh, to be a pastor. There's no power in the hands that are laid on him. The power is in the Lord, the God who, who taught us, told us to do that very thing. That's the same way with Gary here. When I, when I laid, when I anointed him and laid hands on him, there was no power in my hands. There's no power. I've got this little old thing right here. There's no power in it either. Because if it was, that thing would blow up. But it hasn't. There's no power in it. There's no power in that, in, in, in that. There's no power in my hands. The power was in the fact that God said, do this. That's where the power was. That's where the power was. God said, God said, do this. And so, but these Jews understood the Old Testament view of the laying on of hands. Now, not, not saying that those priests had power in their hands, but they had power from God in those hands because they laid it. A priest could not be a priest unless he had all the other priests that laid their hands on him. And, and, and that, that anointed him. And, and, and he was a priest. <clears throat> there are people today who don't believe one is saved until the elders have laid their hands on them. Now, I'm not going to name off religions. But there are religions out there today that believe that a person is not saved until all the elders of the church has laid their hands on them. After all the elders of the church have laid their hands on them, then they're saved. That's just not true. Let me say this one time. And I won't say this one time, or well, this is second time, but I won't say it one time here in the end. There is absolutely no power in the hands of any who lay hands on for healing, for prosperity, or for pastoring. There is no power in the hands, none whatsoever. No power in the hands. No power in the hands. Try to teach this to the faith healers. Oral Roberts believed that he had power in his hands to heal people. Uh, that faith healer up there in Illinois, I can't remember his name now. He, he believed that I, I saw he came one time to the, to the, uh, uh, to the gymnasium there at the University of Kentucky. I mean, I wasn't there, but there was a fellow that I worked with that was there. He believed that the power was in his hands. You got Benny Hinn who believes the power is in his hands when he hits the forehead of those people. They believe the power is in their hands, but they're wrong. There is no power in their hands. 
Because I want to tell you, folks, everything you touch, everything you touch would change if you had power in your hands. You don't have the power in your hands. You know, if, 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 if you got power in your hands, that's just like having a gun on. You know, you, you've got something there that can be used as a weapon. If you've got power in your hands, you don't have any power in your hands. There's no power there. Try to teach this to faith healers. The power is not in the hands of the one who laid them, but the power is in the Lord who ordained the ceremony. He ordained the ceremony. If a man becomes a pastor, if he really becomes a pastor, then it had nothing to do with those that laid their hands on him. It's because God has seen fit for him to become a pastor. All right, let's be dismissed. Let's have a word of prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you.